Coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. A conversation about the great and sometimes not so great outdoors. I'm your host, Lynn Melling. And I'm Jody Gruen. And we do this for fun. Um, We have a few minutes with our mystery host today. (laughs) And I thought I would capitalize on this moment because how often do you get Kate Coward in the house? How often, Andy? How often do you get Kate Coward just all to yourself? All to myself? Well, no. Us. It is getting a little weird. Um, No, usually I see you guys on the street because I bike or run or drive by your house several times a day. And so it's always like yelling out the window or waving or, you know, and I want to come over to your house sometime, by the way, because at night I always kind of peek in the windows. I'm driving by. It's not too weird, I hope. But I thought, um, that looks really interesting. I want to go in. It and is an interesting house. Yeah. <laughs> we, I think I know where you live, but I'm not 100%, so I do a similar thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, well, and I'm like, Because you pick up your CSA just down the street. Yes. I saw you lugging that with the dog once. Yeah. I, I, I never let myself drive down there. I'm like, I've got, and I don't care that there's I'm all impressed. this squash. I'm impressed. This heavy squash yeah. coming down the road. All the edible yep. flowers. And all the edible flowers and those sprouts. Oh, the um, the microgreens, the microgreens, the microgreens, the microgreens salad, are insane. Yeah, so, Drag Smith, Drag Farms. Smith Farms. Oh my gosh, out of Wisconsin, nicest owners. Um, we set up a neighborhood CSA because we had enough kind of critical mass from homes, and um, they just—it's amazing. And what I love most about that is the ability to choose um, what you want Monday. So 48 hours before delivery, you can um, swap, eliminate, add items to your CSA delivery, which is really cool. And it's always really high quality, delicious food. um, And uh, so that was a good find. Oh, my gosh. Totally. (laughs) Yep. Um, The micro green, too, like the arugula sprouts and basil sprouts and cilantro sprouts. Those are things I hadn't had before. Oh, I. Yeah, those are. They are amazing. I'm trying to grow them myself. Yeah, so I did a tray in my little greenhouse mm-hmm. that I set up in my bathroom mm-hmm. with a light. <laughs> and I just, but it ended up being really expensive because I ended up going and buying basically every seed at Bachman's oh, just right. down the street, right? Yeah. Instead of buying in bulk. And then I poured them all in a tray and I learned how to do it. So you have like this certain soil, I can't remember now, coconut, like coconut soil. And then um, they need like two days in the dark. So you put a tarp on top of, you put the, you lay the seeds on top of the soil and then you put the, the black tarp on it and weight it down for about two days. And then you take the tarp off and then you can have the lights um, put on mm-hmm. that and then it'll just grow in a few weeks. But like, I mean, it probably was like, I want to say 40 to $50 for maybe three meals, four, yeah. four meals. When you, the way I did it. If anyone is listening and wants to um, send an email or, or ping Jody about the right proper way to do this or me, uh, I'd love to hear it. But you had the satisfaction of being a farmer for a day. I did. Two, right? Yeah, I did. And setting up your own um, solar garden. Not I, solar, but yeah. yeah. I'm like a half green, half brown thumb. Yeah. Half, half my things die. The other half, I'm, I'm really making an attempt. Yeah. Um, and I haven't... Uh, lost all my um I haven't lost it all yet yeah. that so. sounds like you though you're not one that gives up yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how about other people that don't give up ah 
how about other people that don't give up? A relation to you. Yeah. A, an, a sister-in-law. Yep, a sister-in-law, which we just wanted to, what did I, I said maybe I'll do a love letter episode. Yes, a love um, letter to Leah. A love letter to <laughs> Leah and... Um, and and Jill Martindale. Leah Gruen and, and Jill Martindale, yeah. And why would you send them a love letter? A vocal <laughs> so love letter. Leah and Jill, um, I ha- I've made so many really wonderful friends in the, ultra, the winter ultra community, but Leah and Jill, because they're um, bikers, and I'm mostly a biker, I would say I'm sort of a anything really hard and and that'll make you suffer. I'm into it, but I, I enjoy the biking more. Um, and I've gotten to know them pretty well over the last few years. They've both uh, done the Iditarod, either the 350 or the thousand, um, and then they've done these other big adventures, um, especially Leah with Tour Divide and. I can't, I can't even list it all out. There's been a million things. You could probably say them all. I mean, the North Star race, she won North Star race now two years in a row, yep. which is a 630-mile race from St. Paul, Minnesota, up to the border, Grand Portage, and, and back. And back. And she set the course record. She set the course year. record both yeah. two years in a row. Um, so that was pretty awesome. But um, both of them have just huge hearts, adventurous, high, some of the most competent people I've ever met involved in their communities, dog lovers. There are a lot of good things I can say. So I want to go on a trip with them. I'm, yeah. Where to? Uh, well, I asked them if they would go to Greenland and bike the <laughs> Arctic Circle with me in 2024. So what's been have... the response? Super positive. All Just right. like, well, what's it going to take? You know, so. So what I... does something like that entail? I don't know yet. I oh, just started. Okay. I think Leah would know more, but um, you have to get to NUT, N-U-U-T. Is that right? Or... That sounds, I don't know. Like, sounds my right. Sister would know it better. sounds right. Yeah. You have to fly there, and it's an expensive flight. And then um, it's actually set up because I think this is a thing people do. So it's just a matter of, I think there might be huts. So um, not necessarily with heat, but maybe, you know, stove, heaters. I don't want to say more because I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, you would, you know, bike by day, sleep at night, and, um, you know, with. Uh, Jill having done the thousand mile to Nome and done a ton of that on the Iditarod Trail and then Leah doing thousand mile this upcoming um, winter and all of us having done the 350 and just being and Jill does a ton of camping Leah does a ton of camping I probably do less than them but um, I'm a survivor so (laughs) yeah and, and I think that that would work like Leah growing up was really into significantly long camping trips to the Arctic Circle. So uh, first oh. through Widgee Wagon, then as a counselor through Widgee, and then like on her own. Oh, I love it. Two or three more times, like to go up and do 30 to 50 day long camping trips in the summer. I did not know this. Yeah. See, this is what, <coughs> all right. This is why we do this. I'm gonna, I'll have to assign her some planning then. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, uh, having the twin otter plane fly you up and drop you off and being able to figure out the logistics of that. She's, she's led multiple, multiple Arctic trips, summertime canoe based Arctic trips. Okay. So, okay. Awesome. so I think a wintertime Greenland based Arctic trip would be right up her level of interest. That's great. I'm sort of guessing that all of you would find a way to survive regardless if nobody had those particular skills. Yes. I mean, yeah. they would be on my short list of like when Armageddon comes and the world yeah. is coming to an end, I want them on my team. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, no, no issues there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus Leah lives in Duluth, which is supposed to be the place for climate refugees. So we can all just kind of move onto her land. Yes. And, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. There yeah. you go. 
Yeah. Do you all hang out socially in the bike community? How does that work? No, I mean, I think there are pot, like I have, well, bike community is a little, I guess I would say really winter big. ultra community is kind of its own breed. And there, for the most part, there's a large handful of people who mostly only do foot division. So we would call it running. There's probably less running, more painful, fast walking involved in the winter. But um, there, I would say there's a pretty significant majority of those people who are doing ultras all year round. I mean, they are a tough crew. And I'm talking like 50 mile, 100 mile, 250 mile ultras all over the country all year long. Some of them multiple, some will do five plus. And that's, that's probably the core of the foot division. Um, the bike division seems to me like there are people who bike all year round. I would say most of them are only biking. Um, the skiers, there's kind of a small crew that would do it regularly, I would say. And then there's a really small group of us who do every division. All of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't. I don't know if I'll do foot again in the winter just because I enjoy the biking more um, and I'm not putting in the time and the miles earlier on. But um, I would, you know, Jill lives in Michigan. Leah lives in Duluth. Um, although Leah did take my dog for a month or two, a year oh, or two ago. Right. I can't remember now, but it was great. She, we just, we were having a tough time with um, baby work. You know, the dog is a complete nut job. Um, Callie, the Bernie is who runs like 15 miles and she's maybe 65, 65 pounds, <laughs> like very unusual Bernie's. Um, and Leah and Jerry yep. took, uh, Callie for a month or two before getting their current dog. Yeah. So that was really sweet, yeah. really, really sweet of them to do that. Yeah. Um, but if she was around, I'd, and now her, your parents are here, Andy. So yeah, there's, she's more reason for her to get down here or stay up in Duluth. Hard to say, but <laughs> yeah, or that <laughs> come down here, Leah, <laughs> we need to see you. <laughs> I have a question that I, I don't think I've asked you okay. before, which is how did you decide not to specialize? Like instead be this all round athlete in all of these disciplines Instead of just saying, like, I am this. I would say it wasn't a decision. It was more, I'm the kind of person where if someone's doing something that seems cool or different or new, I want in and I want to try it. So it was like, hmm, not many people have done that. Or I want to experience that and see what it's all about. I would argue that I have specialized in biking, though. Okay. So I used to do Ironmans. I used to run a lot more. And about three years ago, two years Two years ago, two or three years ago, I started um, actively training. So I used to just go out and bike, just whatever. I bike 60 miles, or um, I mean, I did Arrowhead a month after buying a fat bike. I'd been on snow once, yeah, so know. that was, you know, I I liked it. It was fine. It was really hard, um, but now I I bike. I enjoy the biking more because I'm good at it. I can actually do well, and it's. Um, I started gravel biking, and I was going to these events, uh, more national events with pros and doing well for a mom in her 40s who is not a professional and doesn't receive a dollar from anybody <laughs> and has a full-time job or in her own business and all these things. So um, that's, that's fun for me to see um, input and output. So um, I did my own research and homework and figured out 
between science and experience, how to train for these longer events and started putting some things together and it was working. So um, that's more fun than, you know, coming in last. Yeah, I bet. In a race. Yeah. <laughs> but I do, I do things for the, for the, for, for, for the sake of like finishing. That is okay. I mean, it's just a choice on what I'm doing to finish, what I'm for the experience and the journey yeah. and where I'm going to, to compete or push myself um, to the max of what I can possibly do. So, right. so I, you just brought up science and that's something too that I have reflected on in talking to Leah about just how um, particular you have to be and you have to know your body and mm -hmm. you have to know how to nourish yourself and you have to know how much weight to carry and where to cut things and you know all of that. Um, I never thought of like athleticism as being an intellectual exercise, but mm. it sort of seems like it is in these Very ultra, so. mm -hmm. like, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think that's one of the things I, I love the most is not just the athleticism. I wouldn't say it's always required. It depends on what your goals are. It's a component, but there's so much more to it between planning and strategizing and the mental game is probably the biggest piece of it and a lot of people forget about that part of it you have to have a, a plan you have to train that part of your brain to um, survive and um, make good decisions and keep yourself um, motivated and positive in these races um, and and that's something when I was I, I'm not coaching athletes anymore but when I was coaching athletes some of them I would work on on this with which is What's your plan? Like, what are your positive mantras that you're going to say when things get tough? And I was able to implement some strategies on the trail, which helped me get through excruciating times. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, really hard. Everything aching, um, you know, several days without sleep, uh, feeling like someone had a hammer to the bottom of your feet, crawling on snow. I mean, these things have happened. And you get through those moments with tricking your brain, so tricks and things that I either tell myself or you compartmentalize, you know, pain is just an emotion. So like mm -hmm. when I'm lifting weights, I compartmentalize and just say, well, that's really interesting. It hurts a lot, but my leg is still moving. The weight mm -hmm. is still going up. Uh, my arm is still moving. My body is still awake. So let's just see what happens here. And you can do the same thing when you're racing somebody up a hill on a bike. You can, you can say like, okay, this hurts. And you know, the there's a little more science there because you can look at your watts and you know exactly when you're gonna redline in that, yeah. in that moment. But in the ultras, um, you sometimes have to have those positive mantras and that strategy for, for hours. I mean, I will have visions of myself swatting all this, you know, these junky things that come my way where you think like, oh God, I just wanna be done. I don't wanna, oh, this sucks, this hurts. Um, when am I going to be there? And you just figure out ways to battle that. And all of that translates into my life now. I mean, not, I'm not perfect every day, but I've learned so many strategies that if I just um, employ or deploy <laughs> on, a, on a daily basis when things are tough and, um, you know, you just put one foot in front of the other and you just keep going and just, you know, smiling. People sometimes will remark that I'm mm. smiling on the, on the bike, like mm. just... <laughs> 
<laughs> when, you know, and they look over, what is she smiling about? I know what's happening. And people, what is she thinking and about? And it's because it, it, I don't know the science behind it, but it triggers something yeah, in your brain. And then yeah. you can kind of trick yourself out of it. And then you're just happy or you just think, po- you, you, you can choose that happiness or choose the positivity. And the more you practice it, it becomes a muscle that you don't have to think about as much. And then, it, and, the, and that, I think that's a huge component of these ultras. Um, I think you'll see those who uh, continue to return and do really well. I haven't seen any pictures of people not smiling. And that's either them tricking themselves or they're truly happy because they may feel grateful to be there, lucky to have their health. They may be trying to get through a tough moment. Uh, but you'll, I think that's, that's part of what I love about it. It's not just about like how hard you can run from here to there or mm-hmm. whether the person you're passing the ball to is going to catch it. And it's, um, there's, there's so many nuances to it and, and so many ways you can be successful out on a trail. So that sounds like it's something that we could employ in our daily life. So me freaking 100%. out about everything, I should just put a smile on my face a little more often and it could actually change the course of the day potentially. I think so. Yeah. I, think, I think smiling, I think a little bit of surrendering to outcomes and accepting them when you don't know. I think the unknown is really hard for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same in ultras, like you don't, you don't know how the weather, the weather might change. Um, you don't know if you're going to get a niggle or your muscles going to spasm or if you're going to get a stomach rot. You just don't know any of yeah. th- those things. All you can do is set yourself up for success and then manage them when they come and just accepting that you can, you can, what you can control and not control. And that's, that's the same in life, right? I mean, yeah. you're going to, um, you can strive to manage things, but you can't always control the outcome. And that's, just accepting, surrendering to those things that might happen to you will make things a lot easier. Yeah. Well, and you <laughs> sort of, you mentioned too, like curiosity too, just bringing, you know, noticing things in a moment and then mm-hmm. wondering like, could you push yourself further or mm-hmm. could you, what like the, what those feelings are. And I think about how important that, I mean, I always like to bring kids into this because I think kids, a lot of kids these days are, um, just giving up too quickly. Mm. And um, I, I know that curiosity can be that, that switch that mm-hmm. can um, make people take a different track or move in a different direction than, um, and, and push themselves in ways that maybe they hadn't before. I would agree. I think, you know, I think about, so my son is in preschool, and it, I think this is common among many school systems now, but they're doing so much to teach kids about their emotions and, and managing their emotions and um, teaching them that those are okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from the generation where it was like, oh, suck it up. You know, totally. Quiet, yep. Stop crying, yep. you know. And so you're fine. We, yeah, you're fine, <laughs> right? So you're invalidating <laughs> yeah, emotions totally. from, yep. from doing that. And so with my son, we try to really practice if he's upset, just letting him, you know, letting him know it's okay to be upset. You can't, you can't retaliate or take it out in terms of hitting people or hurting others, but you're allowed to feel these feelings. Um, and then asking questions like, what are you feeling? Why are you upset? So it's like teaching that curiosity for him to, um, in internalize Mm -hmm. and, and think, uh, through his, his, his own thoughts and like, Oh, what's happening to me? How am I feeling? And then transitioning that to, regulating emotions and when he starts to get upset teaching him to go and sit in his peace chair and just wait he has a peace chair 
We do have a peace What's chair. What's the peace chair? Tell me about this. So the peace chair is this concept that I think um, schools and therapists use and, and we've used in our home, which is a place of safety. So instead of a timeout, it'll be this place of safety where when he starts to get upset, I will say, like, do you need to go sit in the peace chair? And he can read a book. He can play with a toy in the peace chair, but he needs to stay there until he's ready to come out and have a conversation. So mm-hmm. it was hard getting there, but now he's there. And uh, he has a, a corner, a peace corner at school. We talked to his teachers, and they, they made a peace corner. And so uh, now he's almost getting himself there. It takes a lot of practice, but now... Um, there was one time this last week where he told me he needed to go to the peace chair. It wasn't like a, I sent him there. Yeah. And then he's allowed to regulate when he comes out. He just needs to be in a different place. So he comes out and he comes to me and he says, I'm ready to be done. And then we have a conversation about whatever happened. And um, He's going to be set up as an adult <laughs> to be able to have that skill as such a young person. Can you imagine what society would be oh like if gosh. we all got this when we were civilized? We were kids? Yeah, I so mean, like, it's just so different. From to how remove yourself I was out of situations when you can't deal yeah. and get your bearings, Regulate. and then come yeah. back and be fresh and new, be able to hear, listen, behave. And it's be, it's yeah. a reset chance huh. because that is not how I was raised. I'm pretty sure most of my friends in our generation yeah. were not raised that way. No, <laughs> no offense to her. I mean, it's all our parents knew. No, right? exactly. But, yeah. Um, it it's they're I hope they're gonna be set up for success to really have empathy and understanding for themselves and others yeah. with that process. Yeah. Andy, um, that probably speaks to you because Andy kinda has like a peace chair, but it's just going and taking a nap. He's That's actually great. pretty good. It's the same, the it. functions same in the same way. Yeah. It's like, you know, a lot of people have their place that makes them happy or things they need to go and do to calm down or, you know. And it makes Jody really frustrated because I'll say, you know, I'm just because not Because I don't right. regulate. I just need to go. I'm going to go lay down. And it's always at the worst time. It's always at the most stressful, most chaotic level. And sometimes those naps are 15 minutes, but sometimes they're four hours. So you, you don't really know what that reset time is going to be either. I think so. it's cool. Some people you know, shout, eat, drink. There are all these different things that are not, don't serve us well. And they just kind of numb us in the moment. So taking a nap, the peace chair, it's awesome. What about you? How do you regulate? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Depends on where I am. Uh, I probably exercise, um, Mm -hmm. food. I'll eat. I eat. Um, uh, so I don't keep snacks in the house, though. I know. <laughs> it's seriously. really hard to make. By the time you, the time it takes to make the meal, um, to eat something, mm-hmm. is enough time to have calmed down by that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but just getting outside. Yeah. I mean, I think out the outdoors is my peace chair. <laughs> oh, look at how she space. brings it back. Yeah. yeah. The outdoors is the peace chair. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's yours. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Although I have, I did not go outside yesterday in the snow and I'm, I'm so glad that it's still snowing today so I can this just is my feel. Favorite. This is one of my favorite days of the year is that first snowfall. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that. I haven't yeah. been out on my bike yet, but I will. Is that going to happen today? Not today, uh, but soon. Yeah, this weekend. My group, um, I wasn't able to make it out with my group this morning, but we, I have a group I bike on Tuesdays and Fridays with. So when it gets cold like this and the snow flies, we transition to fat bikes and mountain bikes until mm. some of the mountain bikes aren't rideable once the conditions change. But um, we have a loop around the chain of lakes that we do, and we 
have coffee at seven and it's sort of a some people just come for coffee at seven it's a oh that's so nice yeah. So That's come to Rustica on Tuesdays and Fridays Rustica. at 7 a.m. All we, right. We open the joint. And you we're do. we're there for about 45 minutes. And do you bike ahead of time and then go? We, or? we do. We okay. meet at 545 and uh, bike. It's not, it's like maybe 10 miles. It's, you know, on the fat bike. And we do hill repeats in a few locations. So are you the leader? I mean, are you like... Force, I mean, not for, not forcing. Are you coaching people along to? I would say I encourage yeah. some more hill repeats uh-huh. uh-huh. on the ride. Okay. But I'm uh, guessing so. But we are. Uh, there's a few people who compete in winter ultras that ride. Some who are just you know like to be outside, and we just make it work. And when the when the lakes freeze, we go on uh, Lake of the Isles and Cedar and um, Bidet Macasca, and that's. That's really fun, too. Is so. this your group? Because I've seen your Instagram. Is this the church group? This is church. Oh, yeah. this is church. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So the outdoors is your peace chair, and your bike group and is your church. That's right. I have wow. a few different churches, but the, the bike group is definitely <laughs> one of them. So we, uh, it's, it's a positive place where I think we become better human beings. We just, we're all from different, we're all different ages, walks of life, but we connect on our wheels and uh, support each other. So that's, that's church. That's beautiful. <laughs> Any parting thoughts or do you have more questions? Yeah, we have a similar neighborhood group, oh. but it's, it's maybe the opposite. If yours is the rise and shine, early riser this with the, the sunrise, this is the, the, the owls, the, the, owls the, the piratey parents of littles that go to sleep <laughs> and the parents want to go out oh, and okay. maybe bring a beverage or two and, uh, ride some neighborhood trails that probably, you know, are, are not quite as sanctioned as potentially some of the other trails to be ridden. And well, I haven't seen you out there because I barely make it through reading to my son at night. <clears throat> Last night I protested after one book. I couldn't do it. I said, "Can we please go to bed? Please, can we listen to it?" Because I wanted to pull up Spotify and listen to the Berenstein Bear book. Uh, read by somebody else uh-huh. because I couldn't read. I was so <laughs> tired. And this is 8.30, and I'm, but of course, I'm up at 4, so yeah. it, mm. that's what happens. And finally, by the third book, I, I couldn't read, and so then he finally, he, he finally said, okay, fine, let's go to bed, and we both passed out you know, in bed with, in minutes. Perfect. But, um, yeah, sorry, I was getting some random person on Spotify to do my parenting last night. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. What about him, though? Um, is he into skiing and biking? And We've done a little. He's skied for two little, years. Right? We probably yeah. He's. I mean, he's he's four. He just turned four, but he's fifty pounds and almost fifty inches tall. He's a large child um <laughs> so we still like we went to Cayuna this summer um I have a Mac ride attachment on my fat bike so he, we did miles and miles of trails there mm. and that's really fun he's getting a little big for it so I use a small framed bike for that so I can get on and off because he's pretty big in front of me um and then this summer i'm going to take him to prince edward island and bike around prince Ooh. edward island mm. in june really excited about that uh he will not be biking <laughs> uh we did a f- two we did two 50 mile gravel races um last spring and this fall together he also loves to run so sometimes it'll be you know if he wakes up at 6 15 
and I'll say, do you want to play or do you want to go running? And he'll say, running. And he jumps up and he runs and puts on his shoes and his coat. And we still have a stroller, so I'll take him outside. And he, he, he'll run a little bit and then he'll hop in the stroller and then every once in a while I'll get out and run. And it's, um, it's great. So he, he just wants to be moving. We tried t-ball and he wouldn't really throw the ball or, mm. or hit the ball. He wasn't interested in any of that. He just wanted to run the bases. So, <laughs> so you found his... Yeah, yeah. He's my child, yeah. I will say. <laughs> well, plus he, his parents are always biking and running. It's yeah. just like a, you know... You're like, not playing t-ball? No, I don't think, I don't think that's in his cards. <laughs> I mean, I'll, whatever he wants to try. I just want him to try things. Yeah. Um, but I, I secretly hope he likes to bike and run and wants to get into some extreme, extreme I feel sports. like the secret hopes always seem to come true. I was just somewhere and somebody that I knew was a wakeboarder and found out that his kids were in Italy like at a wakeboarding competition or something like that. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I just feel like a lot of parental things, just through osmosis, like even without yeah. even forcing it, just seem to happen, you know? Yeah, you're setting an example. Yeah. They see it. They're comfortable with it. I mean, I don't know where I came from because this was not how I was raised. I mean, my parents did not do any of this. Um, I was always begging to get involved in things, but... Um, yeah, I think they they see it, so they know it, and they want to be they want to emulate you. Um, and it's a fine line. Like, I mean, how old are your kids now? Um, Thirteen and eleven. 13, yeah. Okay, so they've yeah. they've kind of established things that they like to do by this point, mm. kind of. <laughs> kind of. In in the hard part COVID is really threw a wrench in. Yeah. Okay. And things sure. for us. Kids yeah. are really good at figuring out exactly how to rebel against their parents. Yes. So, that is so if you give your fact. kids access to a lot of cycling, maybe they'll be excited about it. Maybe they'll say, "Nah, it's okay." Sure. But there's other stuff like YouTube that I'd rather do instead. It's a fine line because you want to. Um, some of my friends now are are feeling out where you want to kind of back off and let them so that they don't resent you or hate it, mm -hmm. but where you teach discipline and hard work and commitment. So there's, it's a balance. I don't know that there's a right answer. Um, I think we're all struggling through that and trying to navigate it. For now, Nash is young enough that there, there isn't really discipline around, you know, exercising or, you know, playing a sport. It's more introducing him to things and setting good examples. And so I just like with, um, with skiing. So we go to Buck Hill <clears throat> and he gets a donut every time we go. Good incentive. <laughs> and if he takes one run and wants a donut, I just do it because yeah. I want him to be, I want him to like to do it and to go back. So we make it fun. And then it's, he gets a Skittle at the top of every, I didn't make this stuff up. It's all my friends <laughs> who had kids before me and giving me tips and tricks, but we have a Skittle on every chairlift. Uh, so that's another incentive. And I just kind of read him if he's tired and done, then we're done. He's yeah. too young yeah. for me to um, have him hate it. And I yes. want him to say, yeah, let's go to Buck Hill. Like, yeah, let's go for a run, you know? Yeah. So, cause when you go for a run, he gets a bar and a water bottle. I don't know. It's <laughs> Kate, I bring the iPad just in case for water. We, have never used, we haven't used it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's really hard. You just never know. You don't know what their, where their passions are going to be or when they're going to discover their passions. Yeah. I mean, it, some find their passion at five or 10 or 20 and yep. others 40 or yeah. 50. You yeah. just, you never know. So Maybe YouTube will not be the passion. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Elliot is is amazing. He um he got into cooking and baking, and oh, that's really you know cool. last night he was crushing garlic and pulling um oh, yeah. 
herbs off of like the remnants of our herbal, you know, plants outside to make vegan steaks with impossible meat. So nice job, Elliot. A steak and potatoes, vegan steak and potatoes last night. So good job, buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I'm impressed. Yeah. All right. I have one more question and then I'm going to look out and see if she's out there. Um, what will you do if your son decides he wants to be like competitive soccer and you have to go sit in the stands every single weekend? That's a good question, but okay. One, and I might get like hate mail for this. I don't, I don't think I need to watch him every moment on the soccer field. And I don't think that's healthy. I think they need to kind of have some distance from a parent watching their every move and develop independence there. Um, big games, great. I will go. Um, also, we I would just wear my running gear and run around. Oh, smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done, like, he's gone to camps with friends, and another parent has said, I'll, I'll watch over him, and I leave and go for a run. Yeah. <laughs> Here's yeah. my cell phone. I get pictures, like, can you have this back? What's happening? Um, so I think you just have to figure out creative ways to stay active. If they're great, there are probably other parents that are fun to talk to. And Yeah. A friend know. of mine was talking about how she never understood, um, you know, people like dance, for example, like parents getting their kids into dance and then why they didn't also offer a companion adult class, not necessarily to oh, do sure. with your kid, mm-hmm. but like why organizations aren't taking advantage of the fact that these adults are there and you could help them with movement, help them with their mental health, help them, you know, whatever. And I mean, I think any of the kind of sporting leagues could do something like that for parents, but I don't know. I guess it's not their job. It's our job to figure out how we move our bodies (laughs) and how we have a life beyond the sports field ourselves. You could mention that though to the Lopet. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that that's a pretty smart idea. And if they they do, they do mountain bike, you know, like the classes for parents. They do. But I thought last summer, I thought they were offset. That would be the question, right? Are the adult classes offset from kid trail kids or is it at the same Hmm. time? There was a, we had, uh, we had Nash in, uh, like a beginning skating at St. Louis Park Rec Center. And they had a be- like a beginner's adult class at the same time. So, it, I mean, I know how to skate, so I wouldn't be able to do that. But it was happening at the same time. Uh-huh. So theoretically, a parent could have been out there at the same time. I don't know. That's a good idea. I might look into that. But there are lots of opportunities there. I like where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could consult. Yes. <laughs> I know you need more new business ventures. I need more on my plate. <laughs> I do. Actually, I do thrive off of the challenge of Uh more things. Uh, It's just a matter of when do I say no. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thankfully, you have church and a peace chair to go to. Yes, I do have church (laughs) and the peace peace chair. And uh, and some great races coming up where I get to see Leah. Tascopia, what else are you racing this season? Uh, Tascopia, Arrowhead, and that's it. And then next summer, I'll do Unbound XL, 350 miles in Emporia, Kansas. And then uh, Gravel Worlds 300 or the Long Voyage. Fun. That's right. I'm going to try that distance. Um, Done a few hundreds, 200s, 500. Have not done 300s. Do you think that'll be more of a challenge? Do you think that's in the bag? Like, how does that rate? It it could be a sweet spot for me. I'm not sure. I did not enjoy the double dam. That was 500 miles. Although yep. to be fair, I was having, I was going through a tough time in life and I had a thousand saddle sores that summer. And so 
Um, I spent the whole 43 hours crying and miserable. Um, but, um, and then like the 200 mile, I'm definitely cooked cause I, I try to pace it. So everything I've exhausted my, my tank by the end of it. But at the same time, like I kind of start to thrive after a hundred miles. This is like gravel. So let's say six, six hours in is when I start to get warmed up 10 hours. I, I basically maintain the same pace. So, um, it, I just kind of. I don't know. I zone out at that point. So. What are you eating there? I, I know Leah talks about a lot of these ultra marathon events basically become an eating competition of trying to eat the right food at the right time. Yes. For long it's, gravel trips. What are you eating? What should we do? Should I answer or not? Yeah, answer? answer. Okay. Answer. <laughs> well, I, um, <clears throat> I'm into real food. If it's a shorter race, I'll do a lot of liquid calories, but, um, the, the longer it is, the more real food I want. So like real nuts, uh, tortillas, um, soups, whatever I can get that's hearty and, uh, soups on the bike. Yeah. You can put like, you can put soup in a thermos and and put it in your bag, something warm. So Mm -hmm. I always keep one warm drink and then salty things, plain things and sweets. And, uh, so it's a, it's a mix, but as much real food as possible and liquid calories. We Do This For Fun is supported by 515 Productions, a high-end video production business based in Minneapolis. The website is 515productions.com. And did you know that Jody is also a health and wellness coach? Check out her website at jodygruen.com. If you like this podcast, we love your support. Please rate and review us and hit subscribe. Learn more about us at wedothisforfun.com. As always, we welcome your questions and feedback. Email us at wedothisforfun at gmail.com. We'll be dedicating future episodes to answering your questions. So let her rip, whether it's about gear purchases or tampons and IBS in the wilderness. We do not judge. We promise we've been there, done that. Nothing is off the table. And thanks for listening.